Thank you, Motzinger girls. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Turn within your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 19. John 19. We're going through the book of John, of course, verse by verse. This is um, uh, uh, these chapters are about the condemnation, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. We come now today to the cross itself. And uh, uh, we're going to look at it in some detail in the next several weeks. This is part one of the, the cross, the crucifixion. And uh, we pick it up in verse 17. Pilate, of course, as you remember from last week, has given the command to, for him to be crucified. He was beaten one more time. And then verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went forth to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Or some people pronounce it uh, Golgotha. The place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray. We stand on holy ground to think about to think about the cross and what you did for us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Several weeks ago, I had the privilege of uh, teaching uh, on Wednesday night to our VBS. <clears throat> and I taught on the cross. And if you look at your screen, I showed uh, this picture to the younger group of the cross. And then I showed this picture to the older group of the cross. I had a young man the next Sunday, uh, or maybe the following Sunday, but one Sunday, either a few days after, a week and a half after, said to me something about he enjoyed my lesson on the, the cross. And then he said, are those three crosses still standing? And, uh, of, of course, the answer is no, they're not. But it was a good question because we show them in pictures and we talk about those three crosses. And so he asked, are those three crosses still standing? I said, no, but the place, the place where those three crosses were located is still there. The place Golgotha, the place of the skull. Three times in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, the place where Jesus was crucified is called Golgotha. Uh, in Luke, chapter 23, he calls the place Calvary. So what's the difference between Golgotha and Calvary? Well, there, there, there is no difference. Golgotha, as John tells us here, is the Hebrew pronunciation. Calvary is Latin both of them mean a skull or cranium. The actual Greek word is uh, cranion, cranion. It's where we get our word cranium, the head, the skull, the place of the skull. So where is that place? Well, let's think about it for a minute. Look up at your screen again, and I put a map of Jerusalem today. Now, this is a recent map. 
And there are two locations where people think the cross, the crucifixion, took place. One is, uh, is here kind of in the middle of the city, right there where you see the black circle. And that's the church of the Holy Sepulchre. And, and then you have outside the wall up here something that's called Gordon's Calvary or uh, Skull Hill as it's also called. Now scholars debate on that. The, the first side is that's inside the city that's predominantly Catholic. It's actually owned by the Catholics and, uh, and the Greek Orthodox. But many Protestant scholars and historians believe that the red circle up there, Gordon's, uh, Gordon's Calvary, is the place where Jesus was, uh, was crucified. The, uh, if you go inside the, the Church of the Sepulchre, which Karen and I did. Karen and I took one trip back in, to the Holy Land back in 2020. And uh, it was a one, once-in-a-lifetime event, and we loved it and took a lot of pictures. When we went inside, I'll take some pictures of the outside and the inside. But first, here is the, a, a map of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. So I'll give, the, you give you those same circles. One of them is right here, and one of them is right up here. Now you can see on my map here that that... that uh, circle where the church of the uh, Holy Sepulchre is on the, on the line, on the wall line where the ancient wall was. Well, the city was destroyed in 70 A.D. by Titus and his army. The walls were torn down and so forth, so there is debate on where that wall is. The scripture says Jesus was crucified outside the wall. That's an important description. So, some scholars believe the wall was here. Some scholars believe the wall was here. So, some scholars think that the church of the Holy Sepulchre was inside the ancient wall. And so, it could not be the place. Uh, and so, you have these two uh, possible places of the crucifixion. Now, if you go inside... Or if you look at the outside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, this is what it looks like. It's usually got a lot of people going in, heading in, and once you get inside, it gets extremely crowded, shoulder to shoulder, kind of like shuffling your feet with little baby steps was all you could do because people were up against you in the front and up against you in the back. And uh, again, predominantly Catholic, owned by the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. And uh, another... Close, closer picture of the, of the door. When you go inside, it's, it's really a complex of churches, six churches within one church. And uh, it was built, it was originally built in the 400s A.D. But then it was torn down by enemies and burnt. And it was rebuilt. So this building here has been there since uh, 1048 A.D. So this, this building is almost 1,000 years old. And uh, people crowd inside. Now inside the church there is this shrine. Uh, and the, the shrine is where they believe the actual, 
the actual tomb was, uh, they built this shrine. They built the church around the, where they think the tomb and the cross took place, and this shrine is around where they think the tomb was. It's called an adicula, which means a small building. It's a shrine, and people line up to go through. When you get inside, everything's ornate, just like it is on the outside. And you can't see a, you can't see a tomb or a, or a cave or anything like that. You see mosaic designs with artwork depicting the cross and the resurrection and so forth. And, uh, and here are people lined up to go inside that uh, articula. And uh, here it is one more time. Now, Gordon's Calvary is, is different. It's outside the wall. And uh, the history of it goes something like this. After the... Uh, great Reformation, a lot of Christians began to doubt that traditional site, which is where the church or the Holy Sepulcher is. And uh, so they began to look around and do research. And, and in the early 1800s, they discovered a hill that looked like a skull. And they begin to write articles, scholars, historians begin to write uh, articles about it. And then in the mid-1800s, a man by the name of Major General uh, Gordon came to the Holy Land, and he was a, he was a hero in Britain and uh, a soldier, hero to the to the military and also to the people. But he was a believer, a follower of Christ. So he goes to the Holy Land. He doesn't, he doesn't accept the, the location of the Holy Sepulcher as the place, the official place, and he looks elsewhere. And he, he checks out this place that's called the Hill of the Skull. And he becomes convinced that this is the place where... Jesus was crucified. Uh, he writes, let me just quote something because it's beautiful. Uh, he writes, I feel for myself convinced that the hill near the Damascus gate is Golgotha. From it you can see the temple, the Mount of Olives, and the bulk of Jerusalem. His, the Lord's, the Lord's stretched out arms on the cross, as it were, embraced it. As Jesus, he says, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, it was though he was embracing Jerusalem. And then he quotes from Isaiah 65. All day long I have stretched out my arms unto you. And so many scholars today feel that and, of course, it's named after General Gordon. They believe that uh, this is the place. Now, Karen and I visited this place, too. And it was, on the, and it was outside. And it's run by Protestants. Uh, not a particular denomination, but a, a non-denominational group of many Protestants that uh, 
that take care of it and run it and, and uh, give you tours of it and so forth. And he's showing us a picture here so we can see the, the uh, picture of the skull that's in the mountain. And here's the picture he's holding. You can see, of course, this mountain looks like a skull. I'm going to show you a lot of pictures because from different angles it looks different. And depending on how the sun hits it, it looks a little different. But you can see the skull there. And you can see the skull there. You can see the skull here in his, one of his pictures. These are pictures I took, by the way. And you can see the skull right there. And you can see the skull here. Really, from different angles, you could see actually one larger skull and a smaller skull. And here again, and again. And even though this picture is blurry, I used it anyway because it's, it, you can see the skull easily in it. And here is a picture from far away. This is a picture from the northern wall of Jerusalem. You can see some men up there on the top of the wall in the foreground. And in the, you know, in the out, way out there, you can see the skull, the heel uh, of the skull. And then, I think, possibly. Now, having visited them both, and this was very unscientific. To me, it just seemed like Calvary's, uh, I mean, Gordon's Calvary was authentic. Seeing that skull, being there, sensing God's presence, none of that seemed right to me at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So I think possibly, very possibly, right there what we're, where we're looking is where those three crosses stood on the top of that hill where Jesus paid the price for our sins. And so we have this place of the cross, which is Golgotha. Now come back to your text, and it says, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on the other side, on either side, one and Jesus in the middle. One on either side, Jesus in the middle. And of course, it's been said many times, those two thieves hanging on the cross, those two criminals picture all of humanity. They both died that day. One died and went to hell without hope, and one died and went to heaven with great glory. Because one on the cross cried out to Jesus while Jesus was hanging there, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise, in heaven. And so he was. And then look at verse 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on a cross. And the, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then uh, read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city or near the city. Uh, and of course, as Hebrew says, it was outside the city, which again, uh, Gordon's Calvary uh, checks both of those 
blocks. And, uh, and notice, and it was nine to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. That was the three main languages of the day. And uh, he had it written in all three. John's the only one that tells us this plaque was written in three different languages. And uh, look at verse 21. Then said the chief priest to the Jews, chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. They didn't like it because it said king of the Jews. You know, this was, a, this was another punch, I think, in the stomach of the Jewish people by Pilate. He didn't like what they were doing, and uh, he didn't want them to think he, they were getting the best of him. Remember, they threatened him by saying, if you don't crucify this man, you're no friend of Caesar, and so forth. And he felt pushed into making that decision, and this is his way of, of kindly hitting them back. He didn't say, he said he was king of the Jews, he just wrote, King of the Jews. And, of course, the Pharisees and chief priests, they didn't like that. They tried to get him to change it. Verse 22, famous words of Pilate. What I have written, I have written. It stays written, in other words. There's several quotes from, from uh, Pilate that's become well-known. This is one of them. What I've written, I've written. And I find no fault in this man. And behold, uh, your king, or behold the man, when he brought Jesus out. And so, he said, I've written what I have written. Now look at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. To every soldier a part. And also his coat. Now, the coat was of one seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rent it or tear it, but cast lots for it. Though, uh, whose it shall be. Cast, they'll cast lots to see whose it will be. That the scripture, then, of course, John adds this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my garments among them, and for my vesture, vesture just simply means another word for clothing or raiment, my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. It was, it was normal that a, a band of four soldiers would carry out an execution. Now, there may have been more than four there for Jesus since he was uh, very popular among the common people and they might, may have been afraid of an insurrection or something. There may have been more, but the, but the four that would actually did the crucifixion, they divided his clothing among themselves. They actually tore or cut the clothing along the seams so they could use uh, their portion of the clothing to, uh, for material for uh, clothes for themselves. They probably took his sandals and, and uh, anything he had. It was common and, uh, and it was uh, acceptable law and practice that the people who were executing the criminal could take whatever he had for themselves. It was their spoil, so to speak. Now, it's interesting they said they divide them into four parts because if there, if there were more, 
they were probably more on guard duty to look for an insurrection, but th these are the four that actually crucified Jesus and nailed him to the cross. And, uh, and then John points out that, as, that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I may come back and preach a whole message on prophecy. I'm not sure yet, but I am going to spend more time on prophecy later. But I wanted you to see this today. Look at, back at your screen for a moment. And I want you to see that prophecy. Psalm 22, verse 16 and 18. They pierced my hands and my feet. Jesus is speaking through King David. David never had his hands and feet pierced. And, and in the whole context, it's a description of crucifixion. So Jesus is speaking through uh, David in prophetic utterance. Verse 18 says, They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Wow, think about that. It was, this was written a thousand years before Christ was born. And God let us know that His Son would be crucified. His hands and feet would be pierced. And that they would gamble for His clothing. Here's another interesting fact, too. Not only did that prophecy take place a thousand years before the time of Christ... and has never been fulfilled by anyone else along with all the many prophecies that Christ fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. But one interesting thing here is this describes crucifixion and the rest of the chapter does as well. But crucifixion as a form of execution did not exist in that day. So this wasn't David having watched someone be crucified, had that on his mind and wrote these words. This was, this was God inspiring David and the Lord Jesus speaking through David saying, they parted my garments. You know, if, Dave, if David was talking about the Lord Jesus, he would have said they parted his garments. But this is Jesus speaking through David. They parted my garments. And cast lots for my vesture clothing that word means they took his clothes that was part of the shame of the cross but think about it they took his they took his clothing and he now can clothe a sinner in his own righteousness if you're a believer today he has clothed you you're, as a sinner, he has clothed you in his righteousness and made you his own. Look at the, this next verse I have for you. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then just one little verse pulled out of the book of Revelation talking about a future time and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean his clothes were taken away that he might clothe us how thankful how thankful we should be
And we've got five people today to baptize that have trusted Christ as Savior and been clothed in His righteousness. I want you to think about baptism with me for a minute. And uh, we'll just run through this quickly. Baptism, uh, how are we to be baptized? The word baptize in the Bible is baptismo. And it means to be immersed or submerged. And uh, so baptism, biblical baptism, is always being put completely under the water. This word was used when, when people died material in that day. They would uh, put the material in the, the color they were dying it, and they'd have to take a stick and push it down in there and make sure they were completely under. That was the word that was used. They baptized that uh, material. And so baptism is by immersion. And who? Believers are to be baptized. Those that have believed. This is something for believers. It is a declaration that they have believed. And then when? After salvation. We're only to be baptized after we've come to Christ. And then we ask the question, why? Which is a little more difficult to answer. Uh, but baptism is not for these purposes. It does not bring about salvation. It does not add to salvation. It does not help you keep your salvation. It does not wash away sin. It may wash a little dirt off your face, but uh, it will not wash away sin. Only the blood of Christ can do that. Amen? And then uh, it does not make you a child of God. So if it doesn't do these things, all of these things happen when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If it doesn't do these things... Uh, and give you a home in heaven. If it doesn't do these things, what does it do? Well, why is it important? Because we're following Christ's example. Uh, Jesus was baptized, and we're to follow his example. It's a step of obedience. We're commanded to be baptized. And then it is an open testimony. It is saying to everybody who sees that baptism or hears about it, it is saying, I am a follower of Christ. It is an open testimony. The new birth takes place inside of us, and nobody can see that. But people can see baptism, and uh, so it's an open testimony. And then it's a beautiful illustration. It's an illustration in, in the water. It's an illustration of the, the death of Christ, and then the burial, and then coming up out of the water is a picture of the glorious resurrection. It's also a picture of our experience. We were dead to sin, but we were buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. So it's a beautiful illustration, and then it is a great heritage. For the last 2,000 years, the church has been baptizing people who put their faith in Christ. And so it's great, great grand heritage. We, people used to do it in, the, uh, in ponds and creeks and rivers a lot. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you were baptized somewhere besides a church ba uh, uh, baptismal pool? You were baptized in a creek or a pond or a river or something like that. Just raise your hand. Hold it up for a minute so I can see. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, at least nine people baptized in a creek or a pond or something like that. And then, of course, it's a time of great joy following the Lord in baptism. Here's a, 
a scene from the military. You can, if you look at it closely, you can tell what he's being baptized in is, a fr- is the front of a front end loader. Uh, and uh, they put water in it so they could baptize there in Iraq. And uh, here's another young lady rejoicing. Here's another great, I love this one, where they had to actually dig a hole in the sand to make a baptismal pool. And then here is in, in Iran, believers being baptized. And this is from the voice of the martyrs. And their faces are blacked out because uh, they could be, uh, come under great persecution, even physical harm for being uh, baptized. And so it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, I want to introduce to you the ones that are going to be baptized in the second service. Now, they're not going to be baptized in our service here, but in the second service, but I want you to meet them. The first one is uh, Myra, last name Canalacus. And uh, Myra has, has been sitting with Miss Karen, and she'll be sitting in the second service right up here with Miss Karen. And uh, she came by the church. She called the church and made an appointment to speak to me and Miss Karen and I met with her and it was obvious the Lord was dealing with her heart and she was under conviction and uh, she said she felt like the Lord, Lord was knocking at her heart at her heart's door and that night in my office she trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior and this was back a, a few weeks ago Myra and then the uh, second one is Hunter uh, Hunter Osmond, and uh, Hunter was also called the church, made an appointment to meet with me, and I met with him again in my office, and uh, Hunter, as uh, soon as I began to talk with him, I could tell he was under conviction, and he, as the story, as he unfolded his story, he'd been under conviction, it would seem, for about a year. He grew up in church, but got away from the church, had never really trusted Christ as Savior. And so that day, in my office, he called on Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's married and got uh, a five-month-old daughter. And uh, they will be in the second service. And then the third one being baptized today is Jeanet Johnson. Jeanet was was saved here at Gospel when she was about 15 years old. She talked with Miss Christie and then later with Mark and Renee, and she called on Christ as her Savior. She's been attending Gospel since she was 12 years old. And, when, and if, depending on what service she's in, she sits right up here, on, right on the front or second pew on that side right there. And um, she loves the Lord, loves the church. She calls... Karen and I, Grandma and Grandpa, and uh, we cherish it and appreciate her doing so. She says that in her baptism today, she wants to not only follow the Lord in baptism, but it's a time of rededication for her. Put away childish things. She wants to be serious about serving Christ with all her heart. And then the... uh, what fourth one is Aaliyah Madison. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? Uh, Aaliyah 
is seven years old, and her parents are Philip and, uh, and Christina. And she was saved at home back in October, and she uh, was with her babysitter, Honey, her Christian babysitter. Thank God for Christian babysitters, amen. And uh, they talked about the things of the Lord, and Aaliyah wanted to receive Christ into her heart, so Honey prayed with her, and she received the Lord. Uh, and, and then the, uh, the last one is London Mounts. Uh, his parents are Josh and Tracy. In case you don't know Josh, he stands about today about right there and plays the guitar. And he, he gets, to put it lightly, he gets into the music. Uh, and he enjoys his music. And London, and of course Tracy sings solos for us. And he was saved back in January 4 of this year at home. He came in and talked with his dad and told his dad he wanted to receive Christ. And they prayed together. And uh, London will follow the Lord in baptism today as well. We had two others. We had to move them to another date. We had to reschedule them. And we'll do that sometime in the next month or two. Do you praise the Lord with these five that are following the Lord in baptism? Amen. Amen. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that means you're not clothed with His righteousness. You're still clothed in your own sin. So be sure you trust Christ. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for these that have trusted you and are now following you in baptism. What a wonderful, glorious thing that is. We rejoice with them today with great joy. Speak to us now. Remind us. Bring the scenes before us of Calvary, Golgotha, wherever the crosses stood. They... That middle cross still pays the price for our sins throughout the generations and into eternity. And for that we give you praise. Draw us all close to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please, if you'd like.